0: It is my great privilege to introduce to you today Dr. Pamela McPherson and to welcome her to the All Souls pulpit. Dr. McPherson is a medical doctor and has practiced medicine for more than 30 years. She is boarded in general psychiatry, child and adolescent psychiatry, and forensic psychiatry. She works as a child and adolescent psychiatrist at the Shreveport Behavioral Health Center, which is a regional state-sponsored clinic here in Shreveport. In addition to those duties, Dr. McPherson teaches Child and Adolescent Psychiatric Fellows and Forensic Psychiatric Fellows at the LSU Health Sciences University here in Shreveport as gratis faculty. Dr. McPherson has testified as an expert witness in both juvenile and adult matters and has participated in research, including presenting at national and international conferences regarding the mental health of justice-involved youth. Dr. McPherson has a special interest in juvenile justice, specifically the conditions of confinement. In addition to acting as an expert for the Civil Rights and Civil Liberties Office of the Department of Homeland Security, she has served as an expert on mental health services to justice involved youth in both pre and post-adjudicatory settings for the United States Department of Justice and the Youth Law Center. She served as a subject-matter expert in mental health for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security since 2014. Dr. McPherson and her colleague, Dr. Scott Allen, have recently been recognized by the Physicians for Human Rights for their work and role in alerting Congress to the conditions in the U.S. ICE Family Residential Centers. Doctors McPherson and Allen were the recipients of the 2019 Human Rights Hero Award because of their efforts. Along with Scott Schuchert, she and Dr. Allen also received the 2019 Reidenhower Truth-Telling Prize. The selection committee for that prize wrote, Unlike any other time since Watergate, this nation needs courageous whistleblowers whose fidelity to truth outweighs their own financial interests. Today, three such individuals have emerged to alert us to the abuse that children and families are experiencing as a result of policies and practices on our borders. We honor all three for their patriotism and integrity. Doctors McPherson and Allen, as well as Mr. Schuchert, were interviewed on 60 Minutes in November of 2018, a broadcast that brought attention and awareness to the issue of family separation and child detention in Americans' immigrant facilities. Please join me in providing a warm welcome to Dr. McPherson.
1: Jennifer and thank you all for being here this morning your welcoming invitation and your presence here gives me courage this morning I would like to share with you my story of answering the call to action have you ever felt a call to action have you witnessed a wrong and asked yourself what can I do what can I do? Many of us felt that way a year ago when we saw the images of children being separated from their parents. I could barely contain my outrage. I thought of toddlers learning to speak, some not understanding English or Spanish, speaking indigenous languages like Quiche. What happened to those children in detention facilities? What happens when a toddler cannot communicate with caregivers? Undoubtedly, development would be disrupted, and for many, there will be lifelong effects. As a child and adolescent psychiatrist, I knew that separating children from their parents can cause profound trauma. But you didn't need a doctor to tell you that, did you? Like you? I thought of children crying for their mothers and fathers with no one to comfort them. Later I learned that the situation was much more devastating than I had even imagined. I met Dr. Colleen Kraft, who was president of the American Academy of Pediatrics. In her official role, she had visited the facilities holding children who were separated from their parents. Dr. Kraft described entering a room of toddlers. The room was silent. No playing, no interacting. A room of silent stares. There was no mistaking his behavior. These these children were traumatized. Many had likely cried and cried, Calling out their parents' names and finally given up. They had given up on anyone answering their cries. This type of traumatic stress can cause children to suffer regression. They lose developmental milestones. They may develop difficulties regulating their emotions, and it may impair their abilities to form healthy relationships for the rest of their lives. Trauma can lead to difficulty, differentiating safe and unsafe situations. So a child who has experienced a traumatic separation may feel unsafe whenever the parent leaves the home, and they may be inconsolable. A child may refuse to go to school because separation feels unsafe. In fact, we are hearing these stories more and more as the president has threatened to separate families, children not wanting to go to school. This morning, as raids have begun to separate families and communities, this is even more poignant. There is no doubt that a child's relationship with a parent and community, the sense of attachment and belonging fostered by being the member of a family, a church, a school, and a larger community are necessary for healthy development and to protect children from the effects of trauma. Your community, your community here at All Souls, is critical for the children you nurture. You are fostering resilience and health in the children. Families and communities are best at protecting and raising healthy children. But back to my call last summer. As I considered what I could do, me, just one person, more of an introvert, not really a political person, I received a call, a literal call. Dr. Allen, my colleague, called me. He and I are subject matter experts for the Department of Homeland Security. I am the mental health subject matter expert for the civil rights and civil liberties of the division, civil rights and civil liberties division of the Department of Homeland Security. That's the division that investigates complaints and monitors conditions of confinement. Since 2014, Dr. Allen and I have been part of a team that visits family residential centers, the centers where mothers and children are housed as they seek asylum in the United States. The first facility we inspected in Artesia, New Mexico, was closed after we found unsafe conditions. Over the course of about 10 more site visits, we made numerous recommendations. But since the presidential election, we have not been asked to investigate a facility. So last spring, when Dr. Allen called me, he was feeling the same outrage we were all feeling when we witnessed family separations. But Dr. Allen and I had also paid attention to the publicity around expanding family detention. There were proposals to overturn the Flores settlement and keep families in detention indefinitely. We had been there. We knew that this would place children at risk of serious harm. We discussed our options. As we considered contacting journalists to express our outrage, we were advised to contact the attorneys at the Government Accountability Project. We were fortunate that they agreed to represent and advise us. The Government Accountability Project helped us to understand our rights. We learned how to make our voices heard legally. As we began writing a letter to Congress, expressing our concerns, we discussed our decision with family, colleagues, and others who might be impacted by our decision. You see, we had signed non-disclosure agreements with the Department of Homeland Security. We didn't know what the blowback might be. So we wrote Congress a letter, a letter that later appeared in the New York Times. We said, no amount of programming can ameliorate the harms created by confining children to detention centers. We told Congress that family detention is harmful to the health and development of children and that this risk was unnecessary. We told Congress the detention of innocent children should never occur in a civilized society. The whistleblower laws of the United States protected our right to exercise our professional ethical obligation and share our concerns with Congress. I remain a Department of Homeland Security subject matter expert. Over the past year, I have briefed congressional staffers, appeared on 60 Minutes, written more letters to Congress, and I have met incredible people. People like you with a passion for social justice. I met the staff of the Nobel Prize winning Physicians for Human Rights, incredible people who spend every day protecting the health and rights of people around the world. I met many journalists who used their voices to call out injustice. Journalists who kept calling out injustice even as journalists were detained at the border. I met the filmmaker, Pamela Yates, of skylight films. The Universalist Unitarian Church has supported Miss Yates' films, which detail the Guatemalan genocide against the Mayan people. For over 30 years, she has chronicled the injustice that has led so many to leave their homes and seek asylum in the United States. From her story of Rigoberta Minchu, I learned the philosophy of Granito, granito de reina means grain of sand. Granito is the Mayan philosophy of collective change, collective impact, the idea that we can each contribute to change to co- to tackle complex social issues. Social change through collective initiatives are not easy and do not happen overnight. What I'm talking about is more than just collaboration. Collective impact initiatives involve a common agenda, an agenda that not only defines the challenge, but details the steps to solve the problem. Collective initiatives also involve outcome measures, which are a critical part of the process at each step. Some of you may know that just agreeing on outcome measures can be very difficult. Does it already seem overwhelming to have a collective initiative? Remember Granito. You can see social change requires many talents. Those skilled at communication, those with specific expertise and knowledge, those who love numbers and data, those who write letters. There is a place at the table for everyone in this web of mutually reinforcing activities. Of course, communication and coordination must be ongoing at all levels, and a support structure must coordinate the multiple efforts, analyze the data, and get the word out. Are you feeling a little overwhelmed now, asking, "What, what can I do? Remember granito, all are grains of sand, working, working. As I described a collective initiative, did you think of your church? The Universalist Unitarian Church is a collective initiative with a clear agenda for social justice. The tasks I've just described aren't so overwhelming when you tackle them together. change may not be immediate. The change may come from the children we have caged, or it may come from our own children, who see our actions and hear our voices. That's how I became, that's how I came to be here with you today. After I appeared on 60 Minutes, many people posted encouraging remarks but my favorite was from an eight-year-old girl named Ava Kate. Her mother, Jennifer, had posted Ava's letter to the president. Ava Kate said, It's wrong, like when you put kids in cages. I thanked her for writing her letter, and later we met for lunch. She inspired me as I shared my story at the Physicians for Human Rights Gala, in New York City and the Ridenhauer Prize in Washington, DC. I was reminded that our children are always watching and listening. Our examples give them hope and teach them that change is possible if we work hard, if we work together. Being here today, you have become part of my community, my story, and the story of Americans speaking out against injustice. Thank you. Please remember your voice is important. Your community is important. Work hard together and be strong. Granito. Thank you.